Hey devs, you're tuning in to the debug log number 102. In this episode, I'm talking to Tyler Olson, who is a backend engineer. We're talking about how to develop your games for the cloud. So that is the mindset slash methodologies that you need to keep in mind when you're developing a game for the cloud. We talk about the tools you need to use. We talk about PaaS, SaaS, backend as a service, all sorts of services in this conversation, Kubernetes, clusters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You do not want to miss out. So without further ado, this is the debug log number 102. to the debug log a podcast about game development my name is Obino Parra and I am here again with another fresh interview with you guys for you guys with a very special guest this is a brand new uh, engineer and former sprocketeer on the show his name is Tyler Olson and today we're talking to you about developing your game at scale uh, as I mentioned in the intro this is again with Tyler Olson and I will let him introduce himself. I don't want to go too much into detail. Thank you. Tyler, welcome to the um, show. Yeah, I've uh, I've had uh, quite a bit of experience with working on the back-end development of various different systems, uh, games included. Yeah, I guess I didn't, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't set up the proper prompt for that. But yeah, I just, I guess generally when I bring people on the show, I just want to ask them like, you know, how they got in the games, what makes them so excited about being a game developer? And specifically, like you said, you were working in backend, what kind of got you into the backend, you know, form of okay. engineering? I've, I got into um, the, the backend development kind of just by uh, necessity of the teams that I've been on. I kind of gravitated toward that uh, right. based on there, there was a need for someone to, to fill that. And um, I had a, a big interest in .NET, um, and I've had a very big interest in .NET and C Sharp for quite a long time. And that's what our backend uh, development was in, and that, that tech really interested me. Um, as I went along with my career, then, um, it, it, it formed into a, um, cloud centric, uh, position where I got into how to scale the backend services to be able to handle, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of concurrent users. And that's kind of been my niche for, for the last, um, five years or so. Gotcha. Yeah, we were actually just talking about concurrency with Matt Bolt, who's also also a former uh, Sprocketeer, who you know. Uh, and and that's this. I guess this episode comes at a really good time as a kind of segue into you know cloud computing. Uh, but again, before we get into all that cloud computing, tell us a little bit more about like you know why are you just passionate about games? Like outside of cloud computing, what made you what made you pick up a controller or pick up you know get an Xbox or or Nintendo? Um, what got you started into it? Programming and games were kind of hand in hand for me from the very beginning. Um, back when I was in high school, uh, my parents got a 486 uh, uh, PC, and uh, I was in the in the depth of um, how do I get all of my games installed from the three and a half inch floppy onto my machine and get them all <laughs> running. And I there was, I mean, back then there was uh, a bunch of setup that you had to do just to get the game to run. 
and um, I wrote batch scripts right. and um, other scripts in high school to to get the games to run in and not have to fuss with all of that setup. I could just um, open up a menu system on a on a console, press one, two, or three, launch Doom, launch Wolfenstein, launch you know this or that. <laughs> Look at you, that's efficiency, right. and uh, that's 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 where my uh, my gaming uh, um, parts uh, started. And um, I mean, I've I've been a gamer for since since then. Um, I've I switched back and forth between console and PC, um, and then in in uh, college, I got sucked into MMOs for quite a while. I played EverQuest and World of Warcraft and. Um, and at that time, um, I, I, I knew I wanted to be in computers. Um, I knew I wanted to be in gaming of some sort. And I tried straight out of college to get into, uh, into gaming or something along that line. And uh, being in Fargo, North Dakota, I didn't have a lot of opportunities around here to... <laughs> Wait, where? <laughs> what is Fargo? You know, the wood chipper. <laughs> I'm just um, kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there wasn't a lot of opportunities around here for gaming in particular, but I tried to find the closest thing I could. And what I did find was a startup company called Apario Systems. And they uh, were, I was the very first full-time employee, and uh, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do as a company. And they knew they wanted to get into something like VR or augmented reality or um, something along 3D graphics and um, visualizations of some sort. Maybe not in the entertainment space, but right. um, that was close enough to gaming that it drew my interests in. So at that company, um, I wrote a 3D flight simulator-like um, software that would... Ooh. We had a hardware team that built a device that could record your position and orientation through space through a GPS, gyros, compass, and so on. And that would record to an SD card. And then I wrote the software to read that data off the SD card and visualize it over something like a Google Earth, where you could see your flight um, in an airplane. And um, so that application is what really sparked my my um, career in, in games and graphics um, engineering at least from the front-end perspective. That was in 2006, which is actually the same year that Google Earth came out. Um, you could see the an airplane fly around. That was your actual flight, and you could sit down then with your instructor, and they would, they would tell you, you know, you should have, you know, put a little bit more yaw on the plane in this in this uh, position. And it was, it was to help flight instructors, which was really right. interesting. Uh, I, nice. I, I really liked it there. Um, then uh, I went to um, various other companies, but the the more interesting ones are I worked at Microsoft for a while. There's actually a fairly large Microsoft campus in uh, Fargo. So by fairly large, you mean like twenty people? <laughs> um, it's the ahead. second largest uh, uh, campus in the U.S. So it's it's pretty big. Oh, um, interesting. And then. Uh, from there, I did come to uh, Sprockets, uh, which we now know is Iron Tiger. And uh, I've worked on the back end there, working on uh, the mobile game that we were working on at that time. And um, we were able to, we, we used .NET Core 
uh, for the back end. And uh, we were able to scale the services using uh, Docker and Kubernetes to up to 10,000 users, uh, concurrently connected users is what we got up to. So Cool. And, and we're going to get into all that. I don't want, to, I don't want you to jump <laughs> ahead because already you're talking about things that I don't sure. even know about. Our listeners may not know about. Yep. So let, let's can we can we roll back a little bit um, and talk about from the very basics. What is cloud computing in your own words? And I think I do this in pretty much every ep- every interview episode. Just kind of ask our interviewee in to define this in their own words. What is cloud computing or or developing so in the cloud mean I'll to you? Try not to give too much of a history lesson, but there before um, before there was real cloud computing as we know it today, there were hosting providers out there, and there still are. There's quite a few. So cloud computing really is just those hosting companies, but on steroids now. So those hosting companies used to be able, used to, be able to actually just like rent out raw metal, um, a raw server, and say, this is dedicated to me and my company. And um, application developers and first-party developers would then have to manage that system. They, you were just given, here's raw metal, go manage the operating system yourself, go install operating system updates and, um, you know, bug fixes for this and that and patches and, and having to manage and monitor that system was not what your company wanted to focus on. So, so these big um, corporations right. like um, Amazon and Microsoft and Google and others, uh, those are the big three now, um, saw that as an opportunity for right. um, let's provide a service that we do all of that stuff for you, all of that stuff that you don't want to do and let you focus on your application development in a, a very secure right. and very um, – in an environment where they manage the hardware and it's all virtualized away from you. And uh, what I mean by that is you don't have to manage drivers and any of that, any of those details. If some, and, and they also do fault tolerance where um, if something were to fail, a hard drive were to fail, um, their customers don't, are, are none the wiser because they have so many redundancies in place uh, that, that again, it's, it's all about, you focusing on your application development. And then that was the base of cloud computing, right. which I, I, that, that to me is a, is a big sell for me because uh, I don't want to manage any of that stuff. Um, but now they've built on top of that and you've got, um, so that's the infrastructure as a service where you can still get virtual machines on, in, in cloud computing where you, um, where you still manage the operating system, but they manage the hardware and they manage um, having being globally distributed with many different regions across the world. Um, but now you've also got other offerings in addition to infrastructure of a service, which is like platform as a service, where now you don't even manage the operating system anymore. You are an application developer. You submit your application and they host your application and they handle the operating system and everything else. And then we've even built on top of that even one more layer, which is okay. serverless. And serverless is you provide functions that call that are available in the web, where you can just call it from your uh, client application. Tyler, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> so right now, as I am understanding, there's 
pretty much three key layers to quote unquote cloud computing. There was the infrastructure as a service, which was a step beyond what we were used to with just hosted servers. Uh, so actually going back, I had a question. If I were nowadays, like in as as of today, if I were to like throw my application on, you know, get some somewhere on Rackspace and and get a Windows server, you know, 20,000, 2019 Enterprise Edition and put my app on there on a, I guess, quote unquote, bare metal server, would I be officially, you know, would I officially have like a cloud hosted Their game? marketing team, Mike. But, <laughs> but in reality, but in reality, uh, I just, I don't. <laughs> to some extent, yes, of course. Um, there is no real, I mean, it's up to interpretation of what is con- fully considered cloud. So I couldn't put that, I couldn't put that on my resume and say, hey, I, um, I, I, would, I know cloud. Computing. I would be nervous to do so, but you, you go right ahead. <laughs> What like Amazon, AWS, Amazon's web service, um, Google Cloud Computing, which is GCP, and Azure, the Microsoft offering, would those get you over something like Rackspace? And I'm not necessarily bashing Rackspace, and maybe I, I just don't know all about how uh, all the offerings of Rackspace, and maybe I'm off base here. But other lesser known um, cloud providers, um, what the big companies have over over those is just the the fault tolerance. It's the there's going to have they're going to have um, SLAs service level agreements that say we guarantee that these servers will be up ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, and they w- they mean it. Whereas some other place right. you might not get that type of, of right. an agreement, and if something goes wrong, your application that depends on that is um, is is yeah, right. SOL. <laughs> so, so quick question, and, and kind of stay, taking a little bit of step back as well. But for people who are listening, and just developers out there in general, why should I be worried? Why should I, as a game developer or application developer, be worried or concerned or feel a need to invest in learning about cloud computing? Is there a reason to learn about it? Or I guess who's the so, audience for that? Even as a broader question, the the other thing that I didn't I haven't really talked about yet is um, the scalability of it. So, if you think your game is going to be amazing and it's really going to hit the, uh, the the audience that you're after and really take off, you need your servers to be able to stand up uh, to that kind of load, and. Um, if you are renting a single server, or even in these cloud offerings, if you get an IaaS solution that um, is only a single instance, um, a single server in effect, um, you might not be able to handle the the amount of of uh, users that you that you want to be able to hit, and that turns into raw dollars of of you know the bottom line of your game, and if you can't hit those numbers people are going to get a bad taste in your mouth of playing your game and potentially even future games of yours. If they, they say, oh, you know, I played this game from this person and man, the multiplayer of that kind of sucked because it was always laggy and there was always this and that and I don't want to play a game like by them again. So you that hits your bottom line. So, so just to interject real quick, you mentioned laggy, but you started the conversation off talking about scalability. Does lag and... like lag slash performance, is that also key contributors or key components that make cloud computing or developing for the cloud? 
when you get above and in, into those, you know, those upper tiers that we talked about before, the platform as a service, uh, the serverless, those offerings typically have really a dial on them that say, be able to scale up this thing to, you know, hundreds of thousands of users when there's peak load and down back down, which is important for, for cost to you, back down to less servers when um, when there's very low load. When you're when you're working with something like IaaS, where your um, infrastructure as a service, you have to manage <laughs> yourself. Um, when load starts to go up higher, I need to provision more instances and distribute that load with like a load balancer. And that gets all complicated. Um, maybe that's probably out of the scope of, of this talk, but um, those offerings allow you to just work on application development, work on the multiplayer part, work on the um, all the other pieces of your your game that lives on the server side that you want to share across many players um, and not have to worry about the lag. And yes, um, back to your uh, original question, um, if you don't have that set up properly, and um, then yes, your servers will start to slow down and even tip over is what we like to call it, where um, you get exceptions thrown and in your code because there was timeouts happening talking to your database and other problems similar to that where um, you just have so many users connecting that everything starts to slow down and then errors start cascading on top of each other and it can bring the whole server down if you don't code it right. Right. Gotcha. So I have two follow-up questions. The first being, and they're kind of related, the first being why you just said a lot of things that, I mean, my mouth is kind of salivating because it sounds so good. It sounds like too good to be true. Like platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, you know, PaaS versus IaaS. Those are things that just sounds uh, sounds appealing to me. Why, as a developer, why would I not want to do that? Why would I not plan to use a platform as a service or infrastructure as a service so I could just focus on building? Uh, just to clarify, you're saying um, what would be the um, value proposition for using like a host, just a, a going back to the old model of just hosting a server yourself? Or no, no, not even that. Like, it just sounds like, like, why wouldn't I? Like, why wouldn't I invest in cloud computing? Like, what what reason do I have as a developer to not instantly say, hey, when I'm creating a game, make sure I'm using AWS, GCP, et cetera, et cetera, Azure, some form of cloud computing? <laughs> like, why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> I've been yes. at a few companies that it's been kind of um, a bit of work to convince the company to go the other direction. So they have their own hosted machines and I've, the I've been in the conversation before okay. of trying to propose why moving to the cloud is, is a good idea. And um, the, the argument from their side, um, which might answer a question, is we've already got hardware that we've already spent the money on. Um, we've already got um, everything set up on it in the way that we want and it would be quite a um, quite a bit of cost to move to the cloud for for what gain and there is something to that um, if you already have a big investment um, for something that's that you've already got set up then 
maybe if, if you don't have the scalability needs, um, maybe you don't actually need to move to the cloud. And there are there's there is a solution that's something around that, which is called hybrid. And hybrid cloud allows you to have some things in the cloud and some things on premises, um, and and having that interoperability between the two. Um, and having data flow between the two and having authentication flow between the two fairly seamlessly through single sign-on and other um, technologies like that, then, then yeah, that's great. But if you are starting out with a brand new application, um, I would find it hard to find any um, argument for doing anything on-premises. Um, but that's where I live, so... I might be a little bit biased on that. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, so yeah, so just to throw, not a wrench in it, but uh, just another question. Say I'm not a big studio. Say I'm an indie developer and I'm working on a mobile app that could blow up. It could it could get a lot of uh, users and concurrent users. Uh, actually, let me, not, let me remove the word concurrent users. Let me just say it could get a lot of users. Would, would the cloud still quote-unquote, always kind of be the solution uh, yeah, from starting um, out from, from the ground? I, I totally think so. If you really want to get into the um, the development on the cloud side and you, you, you want to get into those nuts and bolts, then platform as a service and serverless are really two great offerings for you. Um, they, they, they'd allow you to focus on making your web application um, an API um, web API um, to be very seamless to I'm running something in Visual Studio on my machine, coding, and then literally put, just hitting build and pushing the bits to the cloud and it's running there. You don't have to worry about a lot of the mess of getting everything set up exactly the way you want. If, you're, if you don't want to mess with that, there is also another offering um, that we haven't talked about yet, and that's backend as a service, and that's very much geared for gaming in particular. If you're an indie person, you want to focus on, you know, making your game in Unity or Unreal Engine, and focus on the client side, the the front end, and then having an integrated solution that is in the cloud, but you don't want to mess with that cloud stuff. Backend as a solution uh, as a service is um, is the is the thing for you, and that's um, like I said, that's. Uh, for game games in particular and they already have web services and everything built for you for games they've got things out of the box that allow allow you to do multiplayer and to do leaderboards and uh all that kind of stuff um and manage your your um, character inventory and all that stuff is already built and you just need to hook up your game to it um those types of offerings because they're special purpose Typically, in my in my experience, tend to be more expensive um, because they already have that big value add for you of something that's already built. But it's also got the caveat of it's already built, and you can push out your game much more quickly, and you don't have to have that knowledge in house. So, gotcha. So, so you've mentioned, and I will we'll wrap this this section up in a second, uh, but. So you mentioned like things like database access, uh, quote unquote, you APIs, uh, web web applications. What about for games that are like, um, let me think, like the Splinter Cells of the world, or 
um, I don't know, what's the Hitman Go of the world? Like, basically non-multiplayer games, but may have a character inventory. Um, do those still apply to this paradigm of cloud computing, or is that something I don't need cloud computing for? I don't need yeah, to um, have backends think- hosted somewhere. This should not be the 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 nail that you're you're that everything that that you're a hammer and everything looks like a nail. So, um, if you, mm-hmm. um, so one company I was at, um, it was very important to them that their players not cheat. So we put in quite a bit of work around. Um, making sure that the game was server authoritative. So, and what I mean by that is a lot of the game logic and the validation of what happened on the client was also repeated in the cloud. And that allowed us, and and through um, every web request coming in being authenticated, we were able to say, okay, we can make sure that this game, uh, to the best of our knowledge, um, is is not very hacker um, easily hacked. So people can't cheat very, very easily. And it's a lot easier to secure your game logic to make sure people don't cheat when that logic is in code and, and running in the cloud or on a server of some sort. Um, because you control all that and you can control all the inputs and outputs of that and they can't tweak it and, you know, hack their device. And, um, it's not as easy anyway. So if it's important for you to have the, um, that, like a server authoritative, then um, cloud computing is, is a good way to go. But if you don't care about that, if you want to encourage your players to to tweak the game, or if you like seeing those hacks in your game of someone, you know, I, I, I see people um, today that are still making uh, Nintendo games and tweaking existing Nintendo games and hacking emulators and seeing how they can change the game logic of of stuff like that by hacking it that's amazing and i love it and i would encourage it and you don't need a cloud service solution for for that for for everything and um maybe embrace that um that type of hacking of your of your game um instead of trying to make it server authoritative but um right so yeah i, I don't see that there's a need for it and if you think your game um might not need to scale to, to crazy amounts and have that high cost of having um, a large number of, of cloud resources that are, you know, eaten away at your pocketbook. Having a single server might be just enough for you too. So uh, then maybe one of those um, lesser known cloud providers uh, would be just fine for you. That's a lower cost. So there's a, there's a big spectrum. There's a lot of choices. Gotcha. Cool, cool, cool. And and just to clarify, I want to get a kind of a clear picture on who is the audience here. So if it's something you mentioned server a lot and like, you know, you have a quote unquote server, but say if I'm and you mentioned the, the different architectures like client server and server th- authoritative. So if I have like a peer to peer game or a game that doesn't require intercommunication across clients, do I is cloud even an option? Like, do I um, need to worry about what do you mean cloud by computing? That? So like a peer-to-peer game where I'm like, uh, what's a good example of a peer-to-peer game? Uh, maybe a, a Doom, I guess. It was, you know, like a first-person shooter could be peer-to-peer. 
but like you said, it encourages and cheating. But anyway, just like a peer to peer architecture with your where your clients are, your servers, um, or have the game logic as far uh, maybe not servers, but you have your game logic there, or a game like Solitaire or Ski Free for the oldies in here. Do you do I need to? Is there do I use the you cloud? You can. There's no right or wrong or no. answer to that. I don't think. Um, Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, I get. We'll leave it at that, and, and kind of jump into the next section. I feel like we we kind of got a good idea of what cloud computing is and what it can be, and who the audience is. And I think that's kind of what we wanted to cover, or I wanted to cover in that one. So that's good. Um, and, and just generally, just kind of during this conversation, what I've kind of taken and gathered from you is cloud computing as an idea, as a concept, kind of requires a almost a new way of thinking when developing a game. Um, you need to be thinking about how to structure your games and your quote unquote services or your servers in a, un- I wouldn't say unique, but in a, in a way that kind of lends itself to cloud computing. Yeah. So I guess yeah, I'm just going to jump into our, our last part, which is last section, which is kind of a big, bigger section. But think of this as like a general prompt, like say if you're, we're in an interview and this is a prompt that I'm giving you. And what I want to do is kind of just walk through the game development life cycle or the life cycle of a game of a game being built for the cloud. Um, so let's say I'm your boss or studio manager and I come up to you and say, Hey Tyler, build me a game. I promise you it's going to give you hundreds of thousands of users. They're going to be playing it within a few weeks. It'll be social, it'll be real time and it will make millions of dollars through like in-app purchases and sales and stuff like that. So I want you to like kind of go through the mental gym- gymnastics and all of the, the thought processes that you will do and take as you're building out this game from the ground up as it relates to cloud computing. And start wherever you want to start. I'll jump in with questions and we can dive into my, more detail. So this is going back to, you said you mentioned things like load balancing and all that stuff, but this is trying to go okay. into all those, the weeds of right. how to think. So first cloud. I would try to pick apart and find the um, most difficult things that are the most difficult to scale um, in, in, a, in a, uh, a cloud environment. So um, if there's going to be real-time combat um, and um, any other real-time um functionality within the game that is going to be your most difficult thing to to um to to implement um right so so just to interject again sorry so you mentioned earlier i guess we talked about earlier that the game design doesn't really matter or does it matter actually that's a better question so in this case where i asked you to build me a game the fact that i didn't tell you what kind of game does that matter and help you think through how to build for the cloud or Um, really just generally yeah it it would be back and forth with um, about what type of game it is, definitely. Um, so if there's any type of real-time aspect to it, if it's going to be a first-person shooter um, with uh, not playing just against bots, but also other players, um, or if you're going to be doing um, even something as simple as I, I want to be able to chat uh, with um, everyone that's playing the game. Um, uh, so then you kind of, um, after you get the, the genre, if it's a puzzle game, if it's a, uh, um, you know, a, a first-person shooter, if it's a, a real-time strategy, or um, that can kind of drive what questions you ask of which parts are going to be difficult and what features um, thereafter. 
Um, right. So let, let's go with the, the idea that mm. it is a first-person shooter. Let, let's say it's a, a battle royale. It's a, it's one of the new hotness. We're, get, we're creating a new battle royale. You will be chatting. You okay. will be doing all the social interactivity, having guilds, et cetera, um, achievements, leaderboards, et cetera. So let's go with that, and then, and then okay. you can continue. Um, and let's continue building out and what you so think through. Going along with that same um, train of thought of uh, what's going to be some of the most difficult pieces of that, um, so the the real time um, uh, interaction between all the players is is really going to need to be um, you know a constant open connection between the the client device and the server, and that open connection is usually over a uh, either a TCP connection or a UDP connection. This isn't HTTP services, so I just throw out a whole bunch of acronyms out there. So. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to get into each one of those, but <laughs> right. Uh, just okay. How about we, we pause for a second and kind of from a high level say, do I need to be a um, networking expert to? If you want to have real time features, you're going to have to get into some of those weeds. So um, if you want guilds and leaderboards, um, okay, and other things that can be run asynchronously, where the client device isn't dependent on another player, um, then um, at, at, at that very moment, you can, you can wait for a, a guild invitation to, to be accepted. You don't have to, you're not sitting there waiting on the device for them in real time, waiting for them to accept something. That type of a service where y- you have that um, delay between players, that type of delay kind of gives you that um, key in your head that, oh, that's probably going to be an HTTP RESTful API where I can write just like a function in the cloud that players can okay. hit that function and, um, you know, later someone else will hit that same function and that's going to be easier to scale. But if you need a real-time streaming player-to-player type of interaction, then you're going to get into those weeds. Okay, cool. So you've mentioned a couple of key ca- concepts that are related and seem to be very related to like cloud computing. One was you said restful calls, waiting, and stuff. And you, well, you said service for for another reason. Uh, so go into detail a little bit more about these quote unquote services. You said there's like a maybe a guild service, and you're waiting for an invitation. You said leaderboards. What are what are these services okay, that you're so, talking about? Um, what the latest architecture that I'm that I've been working with, I, I work in a microservice uh, architecture. So um, there's there's other forms, but but microservice architecture is just a big word for saying I have um, one application that runs in the cloud, and that's a service, and that service has everything fully end to end self contained within that service. So if I so I might have a guild service. And that guild service has its own database. And that guild service um, doesn't necessarily share any of its data or anything of itself with any other service. So you might then have an achievement service where um, they might need to interact between them, but they're not talking to the same database. Um, so the microservice architecture just says, I have this full suite of um Here's my application that runs. Here are some backend things that that talks to, like a database or like a service bus. 
Um, and all of that, all of those pieces are together in one um, one deployable unit that I can deploy by itself. So if I need to make an update to something in my game logic in Guild, I can deploy just the Guild service. And, and then I don't have to worry about um, deploying anything in the achievement service that maybe someone was still working on. They've introduced a bug, and now my deployment for Guild accidentally introduced a bug in, in um, achievements. So Okay. So, so when we're talking about services, so you're saying, well, just to get back to the, the concept of having almost a new mental paradigm, the way we think about cloud computing, is the way of thinking about microservice, is a microservice paradigm, is that ideal for cloud computing? Traditional approach is, is called a monolith, um, and that might be uh, not the nicest way to put it, but um, where all of your applications, all of your services are together in one application, and they all talk to, to one big database that's, that's got you know a huge amount of, of data across all domains in it. Um, there is an argument for both sides. So when you ask for, or when you say, is that the paradigm um, that's the end all be all. I don't think so. There's 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 arguments either way. Microservices mm-hmm. have their own challenges, and monoliths don't have some of those challenges. And if you're not building something that's huge and having, if you if you can think in your head about the features of your game, and you can say, you know, really, I only need maybe inventory and and achievements. That's probably all I need. Then building those out as microservices is probably overkill. So um, it depends. It depends. There's probably going to be a combination of these, um, what we've been talking about, these um, stateless, restful um, web API services. But also in combination with that, you'll need something for the real time. And that's that's the next um, big thing if we want to go into that. Gotcha. Cool. And just to get a little bit more clarity, you've, you've touched on it already, but I just want a little bit more clarity on why you chose microservices um, over a just because of the I, I, I can think of Royale. the features of what a battle royale needs to do and 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 what I just listed out you know like achievements and inventory and um, if you can think of um, outside of the gaming industry they call those business domains where um, if you can think in your head of a logical grouping of capabilities that all would kind of fit together and fit nicely together, like inventory and achievements and guild. And um, if you can think of, of, of all of those that probably have a bunch of complexity in them, that it would probably be a good idea to get that all together and all that complexity in one spot. So you're not mixing it together with um, other business domains, then then yeah, I think it's probably a good idea to to keep those isolated from each other. So then you're um, deploying them separately and scaling them separately too. Your listeners want to um, look into it more. Um, so look into UDP. Um, what UDP gives you over um, TCP or HTTP um, services is that it allows you some of your packets that are network packets. Uh, to be lost and allow them to be lost because they're not important and your device won't be bombarded with all of this additional information if it temporarily loses connection, which is very important for um, today's mobile devices. So, I mean, if you go through a tunnel and on the other side of the tunnel, 
you get bombarded with a whole bunch of packets that were lost, then your device could crash the app. And and so um, UDP is a big, big win for that type of scenario. Um, and then scaling that is a big challenge. So um, because you, with HTTP services, each individual request to the server can go to any server. They're, they're kind of... St- as long as you code it this way, they're um, by nature stateless, meaning my one device playing one in one session could talk to server A or server B, server C. It doesn't care. Every time it talks to the to a server, it just talks to any one of them. But with real-time services, you need to have a constant connection to the same server. And that makes it difficult to scale to thousands of users. So right. looking into those... Um, uh, challenges and what offerings there are like the backend as a service uh, some of those offerings do provide some sort of real time and don't forget like you had mentioned peer-to-peer that's another option that um, can can help solve that instead of having a client server model gotcha. cool very helpful <laughs> there is uh, yeah that sounds like there's a lot of challenges with real time especially with scalability uh, but question I feel like we're almost like 30 40 minutes in and I we've mentioned only very, very, very briefly, some key words and key names to cloud computing that we haven't really got into. And those were, you said deployment, you said Kubernetes, and those are like big names that we haven't really dug into. And I kind of want you to jump into, I I think we're almost abandoning my uh, exercise of Battle Royale. But anyway, point is, can you talk a little bit more about Kubernetes what a deployment is, how do you deploy applications to the cloud, Okay. how that um, works, how does that mentally I'll work start with, uh, as a developer? I'll um, start with maybe some of the easier ways. Um, there are some ways that you can hook up your cloud c- provider, and each cloud provider has a different way of doing this. But um, you can say, here's my GitHub repo, repo um, or here's my you know private repo somewhere, um, and every time I push a new commit, update yourself. And it will go get your code and push it to the server automatically for you. There's, there are, I mean, look it up. There's, there's ways to do that. Um, then, if you're, if you're needing to do a bit more um, testing beforehand, um, then you can get into um, a model where you're building with some sort of a build server or. Um, something like that, or even on your local machine, compiling your code, making some binaries. And then um, I, I typically work in the C-sharp.net uh, world, and I think uh, a lot of, the, uh, of your listeners use Unity, which they might be somewhat familiar with that same, um, some, same route. Um, but there are plugins to Visual Studio and uh, other IDEs that allow you to after your compile completes to push those uh, binaries to your service. And it's just directly from within your IDE. You just, you know, hit a button and it, and it pushes up to, um, to your service. And so can I, can I pause you real quick? Uh, quick question. So I just built my game in unity and it gives me an executable. How does that get to the cloud? Like, well, I mean, outside of you, you did mention like using GitHub or, or using these different plugins. But how does my executable relate to so, scale? So you're scary. thinking in your head uh, uh, really in terms of 
every, um, every frame you get called and here's the, the next time I get called, I've got some sort of coroutine that needs to, to be double checked and make sure that it's, um, to see if it's complete yet. Um, and I've got all these things that happen in, in terms of uh, a frame tick. So server development is a little bit different where you're kind of, your application starts and it's running and it's just sitting there waiting. It's waiting for incoming requests. It's waiting for incoming connections. So you got to kind of switch your brain over from thinking about I'm constantly running and constantly computing the next thing to display to be I'm waiting for this thing to, for an input. And, Mm -hmm. and then if you kind of can wrap your brain around that, that you're, your application is running. You have this exe, and and in server com, um, uh, computing, you you do have just an exe that runs, um, at, at some level. Um, <laughs> that gets more complicated to get into. But um, if we're talking about Docker and Kubernetes, you do have a, a an exe that's running, right. and um, and it's just sitting there waiting for incoming connections on a port, on a network port. And those connections uh, have some sort of a payload with them. And you process that payload and give a response back. Um, and then, the, so then compiling that binary into an EXE and submitting that oh, sorry, EXE or set of DLLs or whatever um, up to the cloud. And the cloud then is just running and waiting for those incoming connections. Gotcha. All right. So I have a... A server provider. I have AWS. I have my executable. I have these two things called Docker and Kubernetes. How do they so, play into the picture? What do I do with so, them? What are what is Kubernetes? What um, is Docker? Where they fit in is somewhere between um, what we had talked about: the infrastructure as a service and and platform as a service. Um, platform as a service is usually very cloud specific. If I'm making an app. Um, and I want to deploy that to a PaaS offering in Azure, I can't just necessarily pick that up and, and deploy that same, those same bits uh, to AWS. There's usually some, something in there that you have to put an instrument into your code base that says this is a PaaS application for Azure in particular. So PaaS and serverless are are pretty cloud specific. Kubernetes um, kind of fits the in-between. It allows you to have something like a PaaS solution where you don't necessarily have to manage the operating system and um, you know doing patch updates and all that kind of stuff. But I want a cloud agnostic solution. So I want to be able to take something that I built and literally drop it in Azure, in AWS in Google Cloud, any one of them or all of them. Um, some some companies want to do multi-cloud in order to have resiliency and fault tolerance of um, if Azure goes down, I want to still want my game up. So, you know, um, so Kubernetes fills that need of right. Um, right. Uh, being cloud agnostic and dropping actual images. Um, and you can kind of in your brain think of them as the old school like um, OS image of your laptop or of your computer. It's something, it's a Docker or a, a container. So a, a container image is um, instead of having to wrap up the whole operating system in that image, you're just wrapping the, a thinner layer. So 
a virtual machine on your computer, like if you use Hyper-V or something like that to create a, a virtual machine on your computer, or VirtualBox, or you know, there's other offerings. Um, that right. when you bring up a new virtual machine, you bring up a whole new what looks like a bare metal machine with no operating system. You have to install Linux or Windows or something on it. Um, containers are different because they sit on top of the operating system. Um, you, when you bring up a brand new container, it's already got, it's using the same OS that's on the host machine. But then you can build and put files onto that and create uh, an image from that that runs on the host machine that's all kind of packaged up in its own like ISO, but only runs on that one host operating um, operating system uh, through the. And then you can um, create instances of that image called containers. And each one of those containers needs to be able to run in the cloud and be told when you scale up and you need to have, you know, when the CPU goes above 70%, we need to have six more images, uh, six more containers uh, created from that image. Um, and that, that type of scaling and setting it up, that, that's called um, container orchestration. And one container orchestration implementation is called Kubernetes. So... So yeah, yeah scaling you blew my mind. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so, kidding. Um, that is an alternative to like a PaaS solution, and that is kind of the new buzz. Um, Docker and Kubernetes are awesome. Um, one of the great things about them is you get a very similar development experience on your machine than what's in the cloud. Because when you gotcha. create a container from that image, it's literally the same thing that's going to be running on your machine versus um, what's running in the cloud. So it's very easy right. to, it's it's harder to, it's possible, but it's harder to um, have a bug that it's like works on my machine, but doesn't work in the cloud, you know, because gotcha. they're so, running so when, the same thing. Gotcha. So you're, you're kind of almost recommending that as a way of testing for the cloud. It's kind of creating this local virtual machine containerized I'm saying that that's a good way to do um, that type of <laughs> testing. I don't know if I'd go as far as say I'm recommending it. Okay, um, okay, because the, the problem with Kubernetes is um, similar to JavaScript, where a new framework is created every day. Um, oh, fun times. Kubernetes has a whole bunch of, it's very, very modular, and it's kind of hard to pick and choose um, You know what's the best thing for for my application and getting it all set up and stuff it takes a bit of work okay. Paz is a much easier solution but it sticks you to one cloud so gotcha so this is saying so this is like you're saying kubernetes docker kind of workflow is something that i don't necessarily need to opt into it's something i could if i want to get into the weeds of it if i want to test locally it's something i can jump into but otherwise i could just utilize platform as a service with one of these bigger hosting service providers or cloud service providers. Yes, that's a great summary. Perfect. Sounds good. Um, we are getting close to our time. Um, I don't want to... There is a lot to cover <laughs> when it comes to cloud computing. Um, but I think we, we've kind of covered a lot of big pieces. Um, so we might bring you back for a, a part two of this if the, the listeners want to kind of dive a little deeper into getting 
their games up as software as a service or as a you know cloud hosted game yeah do you have any like cool anecdotes or interesting stories with your time working in cloud computing or as a backward or a backend uh, software engineer that you want to share with the listeners or just like some parting advice that you want to give our listeners I like the little slip that you did there of backwards engineer. You almost said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, any anecdotes or anything? Um, you don't uh, don't feel bad for going with the easy route. Mm. Pick pick the route that mm. is best for you, um, and don't think that you need to because the big buzz right now is Docker right. and Kubernetes. Don't try to jump into something that you're not comfortable with. Right. Work on something that that you feel there's there's a ton of different offerings out there. So find the thing, do a little bit of research, find the thing that you feel that would most you'd be most comfortable with, and uh, go with that. Right. So so Kubernetes and Docker both are open source. Is that why they're the big buzz? Um, I. To be honest, I don't know if they're open source, um, but um, why they're the big buzz is because they're cloud agnostic and they're, um, hmm, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure. Wait, actually, you're right. I don't think they are. Maybe I, I got that incorrect. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, but you said cloud agnostic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, for some reason, I thought they were open source, but yeah. Uh, interesting. All right. So no cool stories with like cloud computing gone wrong or oh I do have a couple of those. <laughs> I do. Give us one of them, one of uh, your favorites. All right. Um. So this was at Sprockets. Um, no oh, fun times. <laughs> we we actually um, while we were doing some load testing, we um, there was a special condition that one of our microservices would get into an infinite loop, mm-hmm. and um, we didn't catch it right away. So we um, we started up the service, and on startup, it got into this infinite loop and pegged the CPU. So what happens in a cloud environment when you peg the CPU? It says you pay ten thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, close to it, because you start scaling up your services. It says, "Oh, I've got this heavy load, and you told me to make another instance of the service when I hit seventy percent CPU." So then. <laughs> The next one starts up and hits seventy percent CPU like right oh, away. That's funny. <laughs> and it just it just started auto scaling um, crazy. So yes, we we didn't catch that right away. <laughs> we should have. Yikes! <laughs> so that did cost right. a bit of money to. That was a, that was a money issue there. Um, oh man, that sucks. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh well, thanks a lot, Tyler. That is really good. Uh, it was great talking to you about cloud computing. There was a lot of information that we covered. I don't think we even covered it in as much detail as probably needs to be for people to just jump in and start developing it. But maybe we can do it part two. Anyway, it was great having you on the show, Tyler. Again, that was Tyler Olson, and that was developing in the cloud. Again, thank you so much. And there you have it. That was Tyler Olson talking to you about developing your games for the cloud. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a great 
very, very meaty episode about developing for the cloud. Anyway, if you want to join in on the action, connect with us, you can do so via our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com and search for the debug log and request an invite and we will send you an invite and accept your invite within a matter of moments. We usually do. Outside of that, you can also join us on our Discord. There is a Discord link on our Facebook group, and I definitely need to add that link to our website, which I will do, hopefully right after this episode recording. Anyway, if you like what we're doing, like what we're giving out, what we're dishing out, like our show format, etc., 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 you can donate to us via Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the debug log and donate some money. We appreciate it. It helps pay to keep the lights on, etc., etc., etc. Finally... You, if you do love the show, you should definitely head over to iTunes and write us a quick review. Give us a five star. Give us a four star if you didn't like it as much as you thought you did. And you should give us a five star anyway. <laughs> anyway, go to iTunes. Write us some reviews. We're running low. We need them. They help us. We like reading them, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, again, I hope you love the show. I hope you continue listening to us. If you want to catch me on Twitter, you can catch me on Twitter or Instagram at OBeans. That's O with an H, Beans with a Z. And it's been real. Peace.